Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. verses 20 through 36. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The honor has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, This voice came not for me but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Well, good morning, church. As always, it's great to be with you. This is going to be a weird-sounding argument. Just give me a moment but you sound great today. What I mean is I love being able to sit up here and worship and both myself be in worship, but, but to hear your voices over my shoulder was such delight. I love being able to worship together with the family of God. So it, it's good to be with you. I hope that compliment sounds great. Y'all got lovely singing voices, or at least you're drowning out the ones who don't, right? Uh, if you got a Bible, I want you to join me in John chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 20. And to be honest, we're going to spend about the first 27 minutes of our 30 minutes together in just the first six verses. So we're going to be pretty front heavy today. But today we'll get just two verses into this text and a seismic shift takes place in language. Here's what I mean. Three times prior to this moment, to this text, it has been said that Jesus's hour hasn't come. Jesus himself said, my hour hasn't come. And then in verse 23, a big change. He says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And here's the question I wanna ask. What is it about these Greeks, these non-Jews, these people that are outside Jesus's ethnicity, race, culture, what is it about these Greeks 
coming and wanting to see Jesus that creates this stark change in language. Immediately it's clear something bigger is going on here and its origins are all the way back in God's intended purposes in creation. If you want to just keep your finger there in John 12, just flip back to the beginning of our Bible, Genesis 1. This is what it says in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. So God created man in his own image, and he created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female, and God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the ground. Two words or phrases that I want to catch your attention there is the word image and the phrase fill the earth. God's intended purposes when he created mankind, the crown jewel of his creation, was that we made in the image of God would take the image of God and the glory of God and fill the whole earth. That everywhere you'd go, no matter where you were in the world, you could see the image of God. You could see the glory of God on full display. That was his intended purposes in creation. That the whole earth would be full of his glory. And we reflecting his image in that. But as sin entered the world, so too did disobedience to this calling. But God was persistent. We see in Genesis 12, so flip just a few chapters to the right. God calls a man named Abram, who would eventually become Abraham. And this is what he says to Abram. The Lord God said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's desire in taking Abraham for himself is that God would bless Abraham and then all of his descendants, the Jewish people. And that as he pours out his blessings on them, his blessings in particular of presence and provision, that that blessing would flow from them to all peoples of the earth. But instead, they hoarded it for themselves. They squandered it on themselves. And what you see in the Old Testament is God's faithfulness to a rebellious people who refused to be used for the glory of God that would extend to all the nations. But God is persistent. There's a number of verses I could pull out at this point to highlight this, but one of my favorites is Isaiah 49, 6, where you see God's persistence and the desire to impact the entire world for his glory. And I love in Isaiah because in Isaiah 49, he's, he's speaking, this is 700 years prior to there being a, a baby in the manger. And he says this about Jesus, that it is not enough for you to be my servant, rising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. As God is not America's God. And he doesn't just speak 
English. And Washington, D.C. is not the epicenter of his universe. God is just as passionate about reaching the Padaria people of India as he is reaching my neighbors up the street. And if you've never heard of the Padaria people of India, I'll show you in just a little bit how you can know about them. 31,000 people in India who don't know Jesus. How you can pray for them. I'll show you that in just a little bit. But God is just as passionate about reaching those 31,000 people in India as he is my neighbors up the street. I've had the luxury of being able to travel some, particularly internationally. And every once in a while, there's just something that you see that just sticks with you for a long time. That it could be years that pass, but you can't get these images out of your head this is one of those images for me. This is in Bangkok, Thailand. This is the Erawan Shrine. And it looks like this every day from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. The reason it's such a popular shrine in the center of Bangkok, Thailand is because the Buddha statue, the idol there has four faces. And so you can worship it from the north, south, east, or west. And so if I find myself in Bangkok, I try to make my way over there just to see it because I'll often find this spot. There's a footbridge that gives me this view where I can look down and see the masses. And I just, I go there so that it just does a work in my soul. Because as I see people on their knees crying out, to a statue that's got the gold flaking off of it. It's like a brutal reminder, just a punch in the gut. They're placing their hope in something other than Jesus. And there is no hope apart from Jesus. Our God is a global God and he has a global mission. We saw this in John 10 just a few weeks ago. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Which is why the statement on Palm Sunday just two weeks ago that ended with verse 19 was so ironic. When the Pharisees see the triumphal entry and Jesus riding in on a donkey, they say, look, our efforts have done nothing. The whole world has gone after him. That is exactly right. Actually, interestingly enough, though, it's not that the whole world's going after Jesus. It's that Jesus is going after the whole world. And they say that, look, the whole world has gone after him. John 12, 19. And then our text. Now some Greeks, the whole world's going after them. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus replied to them, 
The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is a watershed moment here where all of a sudden we move from the not yet come to the hour is now here because this is why Jesus came. He says that in verse 32, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I will draw peoples from every nationality, every race, every ethnicity, every social status group. I'm going after the world. This is why I came, that I would be lifted up and draw all people to myself. We worship a global God who has a global mission, which means we must be a global people. If you worship a God who's a global God with a global mission, you cannot look at pictures like what I just showed you and that not do something in you. If it doesn't, I think there's something broken. Guys, understand this about Bangkok, Thailand, city of over 10 million people. They have 33 universities with over 600,000 university students in that city alone. And we could play a game of hot or colder. Of those 600,000 university students, do you know how many of them know Jesus? What number would be so low it would shock you? Try this one. 1,800. Eighteen hundred. If our God, the God that we worship, is a global God with a global mission, we got to look at things like that, and it has to move us to, to prayer at least, but to generosity. How do we support those who are trying to go to try to reach those places? And so we think of the International Missions Board and even giving a Candeo, it supports that. Maybe as parents, though, that reality of, of the world and God's heart for the whole world should shape the way that we disciple our kids. When you disciple your kids, are you discipling them in such a mindset, in such a way that while your heart is wrapped around them and you are investing every ounce of energy that you have into them, that you are training them up and preparing them to eventually pull back the drawstring and let it fly for the glory of God. Maybe some in this room need to go need to set aside personal dreams and ambitions, leave cushy jobs and go. I, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but I just want to get real specific on a few things. And if this is new to you, I just want to give you like a few handles, okay? First, to develop a heart for the nations, you've got to start with, with prayer. And one of the things that I use, I would love to just pass this off to you, is an app called Joshua Project. So every day, it just sends me an unreached people group that I can be praying for. And so I prayed for the Padaria people yesterday, which I'd, I'd use today's example. I have no idea how to pronounce this word. So, uh, but today we're praying for 200 people also in India. The Centilinese, I think is how I say that. But it opens my eyes to something bigger than just what's right in front of me. 
There's a lot of college students in this service. I want to speak to you for a moment. As my first experience to just get overseas, I just like shaped my worldview. It, it affects the way that we give our money. It affects the way that we pray. It affects the way that we live. This was the most eye-opening, earth-shattering experience for me was just to take two months in college, one of my summers, and go to Bangkok, Thailand. That's the first time I went overseas to Bangkok, Thailand to teach conversational English, to help plant a church. We saw 13 people come to know Christ that summer. Think about 13 of the 1,800, and five of them get baptized. Changed my life. And I don't use this word lightly when I say this to you college students. Every one of you needs to go for a summer before you graduate. You, you need to. And if you can't go, you're like, okay, they, like, so we're going to miss on that one. If you can't go, guys, one of the beautiful things is that God has made us like a landing spot for the nations. We can just roll up the welcome mat here. Did you know in the Cedar Valley alone, 45 different languages are spoken? There are mass populations of refugees from, in particular, Burma and Congo that you can welcome and love. You ever been a stranger in a place trying to get comfortable? Welcome to their reality. They will talk to you about anything. They're just looking for a friend, a welcoming face, somebody to help them navigate life. I think sadly, often too much within the church, our social circles are too homogenous. We worship a global God with a global mission, which means we must be a global people. And now, these three verses. And I'm going to spend the majority of the rest of our time just here in these verses. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies... It produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is trying to make it abundantly clear here, my brothers and sisters, that a fruitful life and an eternal life come from dying like a seed and hating your life in this world. That a fruitful life and an eternal life come from dying like a seed and hating your life in this world. That just like a grain of wheat, you cannot bear fruit without giving up your life. In fact, these things are, are related to each other. There's a correlation between how much we die and how much fruit God will bear through us. How much we're willing to die to personal affections and ambitions and the sins that entangle us and how much we die to our comforts and ease and how much fruit he can bear in us and through us. Because reality is, at the end of the day, it's not a matter of if we are going to give ourselves to something. It's just a matter of what we're going to give ourselves to. If what's most important to you and what you value the most, what you value more than anything is your comfort, you will do everything you can to avoid discomfort like the plague. 
If what you value more than anything else are good grades, you'll sacrifice sleep and even time with friends on the weekends to bury yourself in your studies. If what you value more than anything else is a good reputation, you'll obsess over what others are thinking about you all the time. What we value ultimately determines how we live. What if though, what, what if the thing that we valued more than anything else was bearing fruit? Like what consumed our minds from the moment that we woke up and how we went through the day to even our prayers as we pray ourselves to sleep at night. What if what we valued more than anything else was bearing fruit? What would that look like? You know what it would look like? It would look a lot like dying. And it would look, at least to everyone else around you as they look at your life, that you must hate your life. A fruitful life and eternal life come from dying like a seed and hating your life in this world. What would it look like? It would look like John and Kelly Bachman. If you don't know John and Kelly Bachman, uh, they are connection group leaders in our church and key contributing members in our church, incredible people. Now, when they signed on to be connection group leaders, they knew at that point, at least what they were signing up for was to lead a weekly gathering in their household where they were gonna serve people and help them find their greatest joy in Jesus. That was kind of the start. What they didn't know, what they were ready for was it meant also 2 a.m. phone calls from a member of your connection group who thinks they're dying and you running out of your house in your bathrobe to get to their place so you can just lay hands on them just to pray for them. And when the EMTs show up, people are like, who are these two in their bathrobes at your house? Just a couple of people that have died to themselves and their ministry is bearing fruit in our lives. Thank you, John and Kelly, for your example. What does this type of life look like? It looks like Rihanna Folkert's. On one hand, Rihanna's just a 22-year-old recent grad. On the other hand, she's leveraging her influence at Hawkeye Community College to help people find their greatest joy in Jesus. And she's leveraging her gifts, particularly in photography and like all things tech, to serve our church. Guys, for the past year, Rihanna has given 25 to 30 hours on average every week for free. One of the things, if you want to know just like how to celebrate her, if you have appreciated the live stream since the time that COVID hit, you can thank Rihanna over here. She's one of the key people that made that happen. Thank you, Rihanna. What does this look like? It looks like Seth and Maggie Neal. 14 months ago, Seth and Maggie Neal left the comforts of family, five generations of family that have lived and died in Indiana, and they uprooted their lives to move here because as they had a child on the way, a little boy, they wanted to orient their lives around the Great Commission. 
And so they came here to be equipped to go because they knew that was what our church did. And they're incredibly gifted people, great people. Those that are serving in Kendale Youth or those who are participating in Kendale Youth know that Wednesday nights doesn't happen without them. They're incredible. You remember the, the, the Christmas song that was written in the video, like that whole like really cool like drum harp thing. Do you remember that? That was Maggie. And those in their connection group would say incredibly life-giving people who have poured themselves out for so many. And as much as we would love to hold on to them, the most recent thing they did that was incredible is they bought a house in Cincinnati. They're moving again. Dying to themselves to bear fruit. If you want to bear fruit, it means dying. And Jesus is calling us to follow him. He says in verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant also will be. This is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to follow Jesus. And Jesus's way is the way of the cross. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I like to imagine here for a moment, this is where my child mind kind of kicks in, what the conversation was like between the grains of wheat as they sat in the back. And one began to get a little bit kooky, right? He's looking at the others and he's like, you know, I'm looking down there at that big black world of dirt or whatever they call it. They don't know, right? I think I'm gonna go for it. And the rest of them were like, you're crazy. Why would you ever do that? It's much safer here. And look around, like this is what everybody else is doing. But he, he continues to kind of like fidget a little bit, keeps looking over the edge. I just imagine that when that colonel finally makes the jump, that like the final words of everybody else in the sacks, like you fool, you know, as he plunges toward the earth. And at first it looks like a total disaster, right? As he hits the ground, the cold dirt begins to cover up the seed and it, at least for the first few weeks, just looks like nothing is happening. They probably felt better about where they were sitting. And even when all of a sudden that little seat began to kind of sprout from the ground and there was some sign of life, they probably looked down and said, yeah, but there's still no fruit. What a waste. Because the reality of this illustration with the kernel of wheat is that you don't get fruit like instantaneously. Like when you die to yourself, it like instantaneously like happens. It, it does, sometimes doesn't work that way. For wheat, it takes four months from the day that you plant it to the day that you can harvest it and it bears fruit. And now I wanna go back to all the kernels of wheat that stayed in the bag, in the safety of the bag. I kind of wonder how did their life turn out? by staying there, by kind of trying to like hold on to what they had and the safety of what they had, did they live on forever? No. You guys know how it works with seed. It all dries up, withers eventually. They just died a different death, a fruitless death. I think this is what Jim Elliott is getting at when he says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose.
And so verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus, he had a calling on his life. He had a task that God had brought him into the world for. And he had a singular goal. And it was a God I know this task and I'm not gonna avoid hardships on my way of accomplishing this because my life isn't oriented around my comforts. It's oriented around your glory. Father, glorify your name. Use me to bring you glory. Does anybody else sense that calling on your life? That God has called you and has a task for you and a purpose for you with a singular goal for you. That God would take you and use you. That you wouldn't avoid hardships on the way there, but you say, God, I will endure all of it because I'm here to bring you glory, not my self-comfort, not my self-ease. I'm not going to pull into my driveway and into my garage and try to push the button as quick as I can to close the garage door without carbon monoxide poisoning. I'll shut off the car and I'll get it all in the right order. Because I don't want to talk to my neighbors. But we embrace things like that because we go... There's a calling on my life and I want to be used. God, glorify your name. I embrace hardship, discomfort, even death for you. It's the way of Jesus. Father, glorify your name. And then the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it, said it was thunder. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. And then the crowd replied to him, we have heard that the, from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you now say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? And Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. Jesus said this, and then he went away and hid from them. They understood what Jesus was saying. They just didn't have a category for it. In everything that they had read, the Messiah, if Jesus was him, he's supposed to remain forever. But now he's saying that he's going to die. They understood him. They understood he was talking about the cross. They just didn't have a category for it. They didn't have a category for the type of Messiah who was going to come and die. But in his death and in serving people, right, he was going to issue the fatal blow to Satan. And while Satan is still very real, he's very alive and he's still dangerous, it's like in the boxing ring. He is laid out though on the corner of the canvas and the ref is counting one, two, and his demise is sealed. Victory is assured. The count is going on. Three, four. They didn't have a category for a Messiah who would eventually ascend to heaven and in the same way will come back and will reward those who faithfully serve him. They have a category for that. They didn't have a category for that type of God, but we do. And his name is Jesus. 
And church, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to bear fruit, if you want God to use you to glorify his name and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then you're going to have to die to yourself and put to death the sin that so often defines our lives. And you have to start living with a sense of urgency because the time that we live in is not a not yet time, but a now time. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Because time as we know it and life as we know it, it's not just gonna continue to roll on just like this, each day, forever and ever. Jesus is coming back and his reward is with him. And we live in this incredible season before glory of God patiently waiting for people to turn to him for salvation. He's waiting for us to go out and to bring in the nations to his salvation. We live in this time of urgency, of a now moment. Not a not yet, but a now. And if you are willing to die, God is willing to use you to bear fruit. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm thankful for Jesus giving up his life, that I could be the fruit of his sacrifice. That has to mean something for us as we lay down our lives to sacrifice for the good of others. Let's follow Jesus, church. Let me pray. Father, we too know there is a calling on our lives. It was intended from the days of creation that we were to take your name, your glory, your image, and fill the whole earth with it, that every corner of this earth would declare your greatness and goodness. And God, for those who now are in Christ, that is our calling, that is our task. And Father, we resolve at this point not to avoid hardship for that end goal, because God, our aim is singular. Father, glorify your name. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your sacrifice that brings about the forgiveness of sins and freedom over the power of sin and death. And thank you for your example as we follow in your footsteps. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.